This is the Delivery Space podcast. Whether you're interested in software delivery, business change or transformation, we have some great content lined up for you. We launch into different areas of project delivery and bring you insights and experiences that you won't get from a book. Welcome, it's Sharon and Nisha and this is our episode on automation within PMO. Hey Sharon, how are you doing? Hi Nisha, I am really good because we have got a special guest, John McIntyre, with us today. Hi John. Hey, how are you doing? It is so exciting to be on this side of the camera. <laughs> I've been watching your stuff for a while and now here I am. Look, look why here is. Oh, very thank cool. you. Cool. Thank you very I'm a bit much. <laughs> yeah. Thank you very much for uh, joining us. So I'm going to uh, give a little bit of an intro. So our uh, listeners and and viewers know a little bit about uh, who you are. So Mm -hmm. John heads up a niche UK project management office consultancy called Hot PMO. And it it promises to help organisations deliver the right things faster. And he's got over 20 years of experience helping organisations deliver projects and programmes that deliver business outcomes. And I first um, met John, he was leading a House of PMO webinar and he was talking all about uh, robotic process automation within the PMO. And I just thought, you know, we've got to get him on the podcast. It was really good, really informative. So here we are today. So thanks again, John, for uh, joining us and sharing your knowledge. No, thank you. Great to be here. I'm, I'm not sure about that 20 year thing. It makes me feel old. <laughs> I get that down a bit. <laughs> so straight into our first question then. Can you describe for us what exactly do we mean by automation within the PMO setting? Because sometimes when people hear the term automation, they can get a little bit scared and conjure up images of like little robots who um you know will, are going to overtake the world <laughs> remove all humans i robot terminator kind of thing so set the scene for us by what we mean by robot by automation please okay so um so right let, let, let's zoom out even further to pmos right because um yeah. so P- pmos uh, are a fantastic sort of um problem-solving part of the organization. I don't think I've ever seen an organization where they have chosen to set a PMO up just for the sake of it. They've Mm -hmm. always had some kind of a problem that they've looked at and gone, actually, maybe a PMO could fit fit in that gap that that is this problem that we've got. So most PMOs are there to solve some kind of problem the organization's got. And one thing that PMO people all have in common is they are great problem solving and solving those by putting processes in place so most pmos there'll be a problem with delivery somewhere along the line or maybe there's too many projects or maybe they're not delivering fast enough or maybe we want to do this thing called moving from agile to so waterfall to agile whatever that means um and whatever it is, they'll bring a PMO in and the PMO will look at the problem, put some robust processes in place that solve those problems. And everything's great and everyone loves the PMO. However, 
a lot of those processes tend to be very, very clunky and very, very admin heavy. And I think this comes from sort of PMOs of years ago, where the PMO was very much an admin function within a project. So taking a lot of minutes for the project, doing a lot of data crunching and things like that. And because those teams were within a project, they were by definition temporary. So it was never really worth you spending a whole load of time um, building systems to automate a lot of that work. So we ended up with our PMO analysts doing a lot of this crunching of data and cutting and pasting things between spreadsheets and systems and everything else that we have along the way. Um, and that's really where automation kind of comes in for us because we've moved on in two ways. Firstly, automation is easier than ever before. And secondly, our PMOs have grown up from being inside a temporary project to being um, a, a central part of longer running programs or even at the enterprise level where it's actually a strategic part of the organization. So there's a better return on investment. Now, if we can automate some of that stuff, um, those investments in automation stay with us for a long time because the PMO is around for longer. So I guess the idea of automation is trying then get some of this stuff off the plates of our PMO analysts and free them up to do more of the human stuff that we can do. Um, in terms of what that automation looks like, it can be very, very simple from um, taking data and maybe recording a simple macro in Excel um, to something quite complex to using tools. You mentioned robotic process automation there. So using tools like a, a UI path in the robotic process automation space to actually build out quite complex automations where we might have a computer that is logging into different systems for us, acting like a PMO analyst or clicking onto different things, pulling reports, manipulating that data, adding it into your other ones and creating visualizations so it's kind of anything on that sliding scale I guess really oh thanks John and the thing is um I think sometimes we are using these automation tools and sometimes people aren't even consciously aware that actually they are already using these tools in a lot of PMOs we've got PPM tools that we use or you know there might be a CRM system or ERP system and this all uses automation doesn't it and i think absolutely yeah i mean so you've got your, yeah. your, your ppm tools where yeah. you can have um you, you you might often go into it and there'll be some kind of a report configuration um element in there where you'll sit there and drag the columns that you want in your report and lay it out and then you finally click your button to generate the report well yeah. if you can once once you get those reports run a few times and you're confident that the content is right and what you need then there'll almost certainly be a section in there that will allow you to actually schedule those reports to run at a certain time every week and 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 if you're doing things like that then you're absolutely on this automation journey right that would be mm -hmm. stuff that one of your pmo analysts would be doing previously designing these reports building them every week pulling the data together now you're suddenly getting the computer to do it for you every week without thinking about it so your stakeholders suddenly find that report is there waiting for them in the morning when they arrive in the office yeah absolutely sure, that, that process sounds super useful and also I, I believe it will allow the PMOs to do what they need to do build those relationships across the programs and the projects identify the key data that those programs and projects need to be reporting and then give those stakeholders, I guess, uh, uh, the 10,000 foot view that they need in senior management that they need to look look over and see how well their programs or their portfolios are doing. Um, what's 
Can you tell us a little bit more, um, John, around how automation can add value to PMO so that they can focus on the, the value add stuff once they've got that automation in? Yeah, so, so that, I mean, that really is the biggest part of what it's about, right? It's about freeing up people. So um, with, with, with the t- sort of tasks that we do in a PMO, there's a lot of stuff that is very, very repetitive, um, a, very, a, a lot of cutting and pasting, a lot of performing the same process over and over and over once for each of the projects we have in our portfolio. Sometimes we're doing those processes every day for every project in our portfolio, sometimes weekly or monthly. Mm-hmm. Um, those kind of things, if it is a repetitive process, what we tend to do in our PMOs is actually document that process. We'll write that process down to make it easier to hand off to somebody else. If we leave, new people join the team. Now, if we can take that and say, well, rather than writing the process down for us, if we can use macros or RPA tools or um, the um, Microsoft um, um, Power Platform to be able to um, document these processes there, we can then get a computer to follow those processes for mm-hmm. us, define the process and allow the computer to do it. Now, it works really well for those very, very, um, those sorts of processes that are step by step that don't require much creativity, taking data from here, cop- cop- uh, copying it, manipulating it into a different format, adding it to something else, generating report. All of those kind of things are the things that are ripe for automation. But coincidentally they're also the things that really really get your pmo analysts down it's not the work they signed up for there's there's something they they sign up for this job title that says analyst which is kind of exciting everyone likes to analyze stuff uncover those those the uncover those secret root causes to things and really get behind what the real problems are and solve them for the organization and that feels great feels great nobody joined the pmo to sit there and cut and paste data in spreadsheets all day so the more we can use automation for that kind of stuff what we're actually doing is kind of freeing up talent we're improving morale we're putting the focus back on our humans doing the human stuff because if the computer can do the boring stuff we can do the interesting things and that means we can start helping project managers more start generating better insight and actually doing some of that analysis work we always thought we would be doing when we kind of took the job in the first place and um, that's the so fun that's, bit, John, isn't it? Like exactly. like you said, we don't go into these jobs to be doing copy-paste, copy-paste. It really does get the team down. And what we want to be doing is adding the most value and it isn't doing copy and paste. Uh, absolutely. The more you can get the computers doing the boring stuff, the more fun you have in the job, which is important, right? We, no one comes to work to be bored. But also, if we're doing the fun stuff, chances are the fun stuff in the PMO is the stuff that aligns with what people are really crying out for from the PMO, mm-hmm. taking it to the next level, which is exciting. I, lo- I love that idea. And also, I think the data is great to be in that data-driven world and to be able to put some automation around that data to gather more insights, as you just said, to understand where those blockers really are in in projects and and be involved, PMO to be involved in some of that problem solving as well. That's more exciting and that's where the work is, especially when we're moving more towards agility and trying to mobilise our teams faster, trying to get them to produce value um, and be invested in producing that value it just makes 
a more of a, I guess the word I'm looking for, a healthier people ecosystem within mm. within organisations, doesn't it? Everyone's invested. And also I think then PMO can start to understand, well, rather than just having a two-dimensional view of the data, some nuanced reasons for why certain projects are not working, maybe the human side of things on, you know, why 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 there are issues on certain projects or programs where those blockers are where any bottlenecks are and also incorporate that into the fold so it frees them up to focus on that bigger picture doesn't it yeah I, yeah and I'm, I'm glad you brought up data because i've been focused on the people but the the amount of data that we've got available to us has grown so much over, over over the years that I've been working in project management. And there is so much data that we can't process it or take it in. I mean, the, there's some very good and uh, there's some very good PMO people, there's some very good project people I know that have have a very good sort of gut feeling on things. Uh, mm. I, I, they remind me of I don't know de- detectives in, in 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 movies. There's always what that one renegade detective who <laughs> who goes with his gut and 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 solves it. And there's a lot of good project people like that. But even though we do have those people, they tend to be the outliers, mm. and they're not always right so what we love to do is be able to make our decisions based on data right data driven decision making is kind of the panacea for us um so where we can use automation to help us there is to crunch some of that data as well and the more we can use automation to crunch data to help us visualize the data um with not only we're freeing ourselves up from actually doing that that mundane work but we're creating um different views of our data that we can then use to make better decisions off as well Mm. so as well as it uh freeing up our talent making our people happier focusing on our humans it actually allows us to make decisions based on real data in ways that otherwise we might have just gone with a gut feel on things in the past yeah absolutely and and in a previous episode Anita and I were talking about PMO having a seat at the strategic table and I think what we've discussed there by us having those valuable data insights we can really help drive these key strategic decisions within the business because we've got the facts we've we've got that important data there so instead of focusing on the low value activities we're now helping to you know drive the business forward in the right strategic direction support things like return on investment and you know the high value outcomes so I think it really is super important so John talk to us a little bit more about the link between using some of these amazing automation tools and how it can actually help improve project delivery what's the link between the two if any okay so I think I think there's two maybe three ways let's see how we go I might forget one of them as we go through <laughs> um, so two or three ways of doing looking at this firstly is the obvious one there's if we can free up people from doing the mundane stuff then we're those people are better able to help project managers and the the PMO has had this reputation of being a sort of the the kind of function that just phones people up and nags them and chases them for getting documentation in. The more we can free up the PMO people from that, the more our PMO people can actually be helping project managers by providing them insight, by providing them coaching and guidance. Um, certainly when we've got strategic PMOs that are part of the organization long term, 
what we tend to find is our PMO analysts and our PMO managers know a lot more about how to get things done around here than our project managers do. If you look at a project manager in an organization, say they're running a project that lasts for, I don't know, six months or a year, then project initiation is something they're only going to be doing once every six months or a year. Um, some project managers even longer than that. Whereas our project, our PMO people are touching those processes all the time. So if we free up the PMO people from doing the admin, they can spend that time helping the project managers fine tune those processes, make them slicker, make them faster, and help get our projects running um, faster and quicker to a higher level of quality because we're supporting them and giving that expert guidance. So I think that's one side of it for where PMO people can help the projects. Um, the other side of it is the more data, the more we can use it for this, and we're sort of veering a bit into almost sort of machine learning and things now, but the data analytics side of it, the more we can surface data that can be used for decision making, we can use that to help us decide what projects we should be using. So if you look at the portfolio layer where we've got project requests coming in, if we can quickly use our automation tools to understand where those projects fit within our company, our organizational goals, and then look at what resources it needs and then use some modeling software uh, to automatically look at what it would mean for our portfolio, what's going to fit, what's not going to fit. Then we can rapidly use that to help us choose the right projects to focus on as well. And I think finally is one that we don't often think about with reporting and sharing information. I think we're really good in the PMO space uh, taking information from project teams and from delivery teams in the agile world and presenting that data to the senior management of the organization we sort of take it we kind of demand it from project teams and we shout at them and nag them we pull it together and do the ta-da <laughs> to the senior management aren't we wonderful what we're not so good at is doing the reverse of that is taking insightful information from the organization and sharing that back with the teams and when we're working with agile teams and continuous delivery teams that becomes more and more important mm. because with agile teams we're telling we're we're asking them to actually think about what the organization needs um take a um we empower them more to find the solutions to the problems themselves to be more outcome focused. Now, if we're giving them challenges like growing part of the business by working on a tool and developing it, they need to understand data about the tool and about the organization and where the organization is going. Um, and to be able to do that, we need to be taking business data and playing it back to our project teams as well in as real time away as we can. Because if we can help our development teams see clearly that if they've made a change, we can see what that means to our business metrics, that allows them to help understanding the changes they made, the changes that they've made. They can refine things and be better on point for the next thing they're delivering. And I think the PMO has a vital role to play in that data going back to the teams mm. as well and it's something we probably haven't had time to do before but again the more we can automate of the processes and the more we can automate pulling data from different areas of the business and passing it down and making it available then the more that becomes an option for us and the more we're empowering those agile teams to deliver for us as well i love that and i tell you why because it's so refreshing to hear you say that. I work a lot with agile delivery teams. And one of the things that they are hungry for is to try and understand how well what they are producing is doing in the eyes of the end users, in the eyes of the, the end customers. And 
it's lovely to hear you say not only are we pro- should we as PMO be getting involved to provide the information to senior management on progress of the actual work in programs and portfolios but also that 360 how well are we doing with what we're producing and putting out there from the teams uh, I mm. think that is super important it makes such a compelling case and you know the developers that I work with they have that they have that craftsmanship about them they love their work they love to make an impact and this I can actually put in their hands areas to make progress and to help with that continuous improvement of whatever they're working on absolutely and I think the other thing that um, John mentioned there which I can definitely relate to is the modeling and the scenario planning especially in this market that we're all in things change so rapidly and I think when PMOs are equipped with you know the right data and the right tools to be able to do that modeling and do it quickly and accurately it provides so much value to the team so it's it really is powerful yeah I mean like imagine guys if you're working on a program and you know some history there you've got data say if programs have failed previously but you haven't had a chance to capture the data on why a certain program that's trying to achieve a similar set of objectives has failed. Those people that could have been working on that program may have just left the organisation and you haven't captured that data. That valuable knowledge has gone out, has left with the people. But if you start capturing data on things like that, immediately you're empowered to say, a program of this nature has failed before. These are the main factors that led to the failure this and then you're in a power position to say this is what we're going to do differently and not only you but everybody with that's involved within the organization you're going to attempt it again you might as well have the data to tell you where it didn't go so right in the past absolutely and 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 the more you sort of the more you sort of hand off some of this stuff and play around with the data that you've got you 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 uncover different things that you would never thought possible before because you can automate things mm. it means you can go a lot faster um something that would take take you forever to crunch the data on you can suddenly just get a computer to do overnight for you so maybe there's tasks that you do monthly be purely because they take so long to do if you can automate that task and get it down to a computer doing it overnight or a computer doing it in a hour for you then suddenly it becomes an insight you can get every week or even every day which is which is exciting as well yeah yeah I'm like my mind right now is running away with lots of possibilities of this especially when it comes to team health right mental health and well-being is a massive Mm. thing some of our teams face a lot of pressures so to be gathering data on team happiness for example every time there's a retro or to be able to do it in a very quick and automated way where team members don't have to think about it that can over time correlate right you can develop sort of like a happiness index correlate that to the types of projects that we're running as well and there's so many things that can be done with this data Um, and I've actually seen that uh, out there Nisha uh, seen like the tools and the software where people are gathering that information yeah you know how are you feeling today because like you said it, it does correlate directly doesn't it in terms of how uh, things are being delivered so it, it really does matter how um, people are feeling and mental health and well-being yeah there it, is that it, it does the name of the tool the name of the tool is escaping me but there's a guy in uh, he's a, i'm fairly certain he's australian he was a 
a PMO conference a few years back in London, I think. Um, and he and his software did just that. It was yeah. it was linked to meetings that you had. Um, it, it took a pulse of people at pretty much every meeting, so it was linked into their their um, Office three six five system. If you had a meeting, it would check in sort of at the end. How was that meeting for you? Um, but it gave you another data point for your project. So if your projects are sort of consistently happy, and then the suddenly the set the 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 set the um, sentiment is going down. Is there a problem there that we need to look at? And that's where you start getting into. We talk a lot about um, sort of two types of KPIs, right? We've got leading and lagging KPIs. But where we where we don't like to be in the PMO space is where projects go red and it's unexpected. Hmm. Now, where you can look at some of these data points is start looking for correlations with things. So if we were taking those pulses at every single meeting, for example, are there patterns there that would indicate for us that a project is likely to turn red based on what we based on what we know? I mean, I did some work a few years back um, with a client where we looked at um, some data for projects that had gone red, and we were looking for patterns in redness. Depending, was it a certain phase in projects, or was it certain times of year? And we did that work, and we got some insight. And then it was only afterwards we played around with looking at risk logs. And you don't normally look at risk logs because um, in the in this level of detail because it takes too long. Unless you can use automation tools to open each one, grab the scores over time, and track those and st- store those over time for you about how um, risk scores have gone up and down over time across thirty, forty projects. But what we found that was interesting was where we'd ex- the hypothesis would be that if a project's going red, then before it you'd expect to see the risk score going up and worsening, right? Mm-hmm. And that wasn't the case at all. What we saw was in risk logs, projects that were going red, the risk score actually went completely flat, sort of like 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 a sort of heart monitor. <laughs> and what the reality was, it, um, the reason for that being unexpected was because what we were actually seeing was the project managers, just before a project's going red, everyone is scrambling. Everyone is trying to get things recovered. They don't want to report red. Let's fix, 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 fix. And the project managers are so busy trying to deal with the issues they're dealing with, they don't have time to update their risk logs. Mm. Um, so you are suddenly seeing that the risk log wasn't a real reflection of what the problem was. It was flat because they didn't have time to update it. It went red. PMO sits with them. Risk log score suddenly goes up because you log all these risks down and then you kind of manage it down again. But once you know those things, you can get an automated bit of software, a, a, a bot or, or your or, or a sort of um, a, a, a so power, 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 power platform tool to look at those things on a regular basis and alert you where you're seeing that trend of projects that are sort of flat on the risk score for a little while, where it where it's unexpected for them to be flat. Mm, That's really say, interesting, isn't it? Because, like yeah. you said, these things go hidden <laughs> behind the yeah. scenes, so no one really knows what's going on until it's perhaps too late. So if we yeah. can get in there early and uncover what's really happening and what's driving those behaviours, it and can make all nice the... lead indicators. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Rather than having to do recovery mode, now we're being, you know, we're able to manage things right at the outset. So yeah, amazing. So John, what do you think mm-hmm. the future is going to look like in this space? I mean, you've alluded to it in terms of capturing the most useful data points, but are there any trends that you can share with us? Ooh, crystal ball stuff. <laughs> um, wow. Okay. So, um, okay. So intelligent automation is, 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 is a big one. Um, this is where you sort of got 
automation tools like your macros, like your robotic process automation that can follow a simple process over and over, or quite a complex process over and over again. But when you can link that with um, sort of machine learning and AI algorithms, that's when the game kind of changes because you can actually get um, get bots making decisions by themselves. So they can look at things and choose the best path based on how they've seen historic data has gone. And that gets super exciting. Now, there's a couple of tools that are sort of in this automation space at the moment. It's going to be interesting watching those. Um, there's something called uh, Scopemaster, which with uh, scopemaster.com, which I love. It's a tool that um, helps generate um, requirements for agile projects. So you link it into Jira. Um, it, you tell it the type of project you're doing. It, it it looks at your Jira data, historical data for you. So it's got that kind of detailed historical information. Plus it's got its own database. And it literally analyzes the stories that you've got and then gives you suggestions. So it's like, well, actually, we're looking at these. You appear to be missing some stories in the middle that other projects of this nature have. Do you want me to create those for you? Here's what I think should be written in them. Here's what the quality criteria might be. And then I'm going to look at some of the stories you've already created and suggest improvements to those in terms of quality. So that idea of that, an automation tool going through all of those stories, which would take forever for a person to do, identifying gaps, and but then the machine learning side of it, looking at gaps based on what it knows from previous projects and suggesting and making recommendations for you. Those kind of tools are a great way of us, again, helping project managers or helping our agile teams and product managers actually um, deliver their projects or deliver their products with far less risk and far more predictability because we're getting that stuff right. And if you imagine we can do that with product requirements, we could also do that with risk logs, right? And look at our risk logs being able to help. Are we missing risks that this type of project normally normally have? And then if we look at it with um, project planning, if we can actually start typing in create project charter and you've got your project software saying, oh, that normally takes around 20, 20 days in this organization. I'm sitting there going, well, it normally take, it would, should only take me three. And it's saying, no, no, no. In this organization, it really does take 20. And you look at, and here's the historical evidence for it. You go, all right, let me go for 20 for that. Because I'm thinking it's three days of my time, but the computer knows actually the sign-offs and everything that happened and how th we do things around here tends to be 20. And if we can use computers sort of pulling that those data sets in and helping us, then it gets really exciting. So automation, but making it intelligent with machine learning. And I think whilst it's easy to get excited about it, one of the big challenges there is quality of data because machine learning needs really, really good data and it needs a lot of data to be able to, be able to start learning from it and make those decisions. So that's going to be one of the big challenges for people doing that is can they get hold of enough data, enough clean data from projects to allow machine learning algorithms to play with it, to allow it to start making meaningful decisions that are actually useful for us. So I think that's a, that's a, that's a big one. Um, then, well, trends, other um Citizen development is probably another one that's quite exciting. So okay. um, where we've, we, we've come a long way from um, maybe having that one person that could write macros in a PMO team um, in, in Excel to this area that we're uh, – there's so many tools out there that are, that are what we call low-code um, now. And we're starting to look at this area called uh, citizen development. So PMI have got quite excited about this recently, and they're not the only ones. It's this idea that actually, rather than needing coding skills, we can have people in the in the business, um, in the business, not in tech, 
able to use tools that are very, very low code to create their own workflows and things and automate things quite simply. So we've got that in um, in, in, the, in, the, in the Power Platform within Microsoft, um, uh, as we know, being able to create those Power Apps and follow simple flows there. And um, we've got tools like I, I mentioned UiPath earlier for automation that is allowing you to drag and drop and record what you do on a screen and create automa automated bots off the back of that. And then moving it back into sort of PPM software. I was playing with... Um, a PPM tool called uh, Kato, uh, Kato the other day. It's made by a, a team from Finland. And again, you can. it's so easy to pull together your processes and define what you want your data to do, what needs to map to what, how it all connects together to create visualizations and what you want to do with it. And I was quite struck by how easy some of that stuff was to do. So I'm quite excited about this idea of low-code, more and more things becoming low-code and allowing more of our PMO team and more, more non-technical people to be able to create the kind of flows and the kind of processes that previously it was only very, very technical people or software developers could do. So I think that's going to unlock a lot of things and make automation a lot more exciting for us. And it's and also um, empowering, isn't it, John? Um, because like you said, no longer do you need to have loads of developers to create that thing. You can just go into a, a tool and just drag, drop, cr create what you want and need. And it's a, bit, and it's a game changer. <laughs> it, it really is. And again, and part of the reason I was kind of excited about it, I sound like I'm plugging Kato now, but part of the reason I was excited about it was because I've worked with PPM tools before and I've, I've sort of seen organizations where they've kind of locked themselves into, they're, they're almost tied into following certain processes for how they do their projects, stage gates and all those kind of things um, because they've bought the PPM tool, they've got consultants in from the PPM software who've helped them design this flow for their organization, then six months later their organization's changed or the way they want to do projects has changed but they don't have the skills in the PMO team to make those changes you look at the price of consultancy and it's really really expensive and then you end up stuck with a tool that isn't quite fit for purpose so where you are seeing that citizen development stuff coming in like Cato I've done I'm sure others will as well but you're where it's simple enough for the PMO to make those changes to the system, then it's cheaper for the organization. You're going to end up with PPM tools that are far more aligned to how you're working today because it's easy to adjust it for how you work today as well. So it's yeah, super exciting. That's great. Thank you. I have noted down Scope Master um, and Kato. We are going to investigate those, Sharon and I. Definitely. And maybe pick definitely. your brains offline, sure. John. Cool. Um, yeah, so those two, um, UiPath is another one for the robotic process automation is fabulous. And I, that, the tool, the tool that does the sentiment analysis of meetings, I will send you that afterwards. And maybe if you could, uh, you 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 can put it in your podcast description or something sure. if anyone wants to yeah. see that one. We will, of course, yeah. Because I guarantee as soon as we finish this call, it's going to come to me and I'll remember what it was called. <laughs> as is the case always john always. so guys it's time to wrap up how about we capture our takeaways what are your takeaways from this session sharon oh so i think for me it's um it's thinking about the bigger picture and understanding that like john said pmo analysts you know analyst part of the job 
and we're there to add value and drive the strategy of the business and it's not about copying and pasting you know we we're moving away from that and use of automation you can help drive agility within the business you can help drive continuous improvement we've spoken about the bi-directional flow of data and how you can um, use that data to help the teams make informed decisions um, John's mentioned some great tools that I'm going to look up after this so I think I think the opportunities are limitless really and that if you just embrace it it's really empowering and it also boosts morale so I think those are my key takeaways John what about you um yeah much so I'd, again really fast it it's all it's, we started off talking about being scared of the future and the and the, the idea of little robots running around and uh, taking our jobs and things. And, and, and actually, the way the conversation's gone, we've actually ended up talking about it being something that's really, really empowering, uh, freeing up our analysts to to, to be analysts. Um, and and also, I think where there we mentioned a few tools there, but where if we're encouraging our PMO analysts to look at these tools, then we're actually upskilling our people as well. So we're upskilling people as well as empowering them, which is super exciting. Yeah, agree. Nisha, what are your thoughts? Oh, I think you've just reinforced for me the power of data-driven decision-making, John, which within Agile teams, we use data to improve ourselves. We do take that sentiment analysis, but I think there's a lot of work that can be done to, to aggregate that data so that it can help us for future. And I love the idea of the 360 data measuring. Don't just measure or don't just use your data to measure the performance of your Agile or other delivery teams, but also put the data into their hands of how well they're doing based on data that you gather from end users or customers using their product in the in the marketplace. Give them, give them the 360 um, that they deserve. Thanks. I love that. That sounds great. John, thank you so much for joining us today. You've given Anisha and I and our, and our listeners lots of tools and hints and tips and future trends. And we're definitely going to go away and look at um, some of those tools that you have recommended. Um, if people want to find you or work with you, connect with you, which platforms can they find you on? Um, so I'm I'm always on LinkedIn, uh, John McIntyre. I think if you type in John McIntyre and PMO, um, you'll probably find me. Um, or we've got our website, hotpmo.com. You can find us there as well. It's got a nice little pop-up chat thing. There's normally one of the team there to chat to, and they can always put you in touch with me. So either way is perfect. Awesome. And we will link your company details um, when we send the recording out. Um, thank you so much to everybody for watching and listening look out for our next video and as always please like follow and subscribe bye for now